Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about the top three coronavirus mistakes for runners. So the big question is this, how are runners like us, who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. So before we get started, I just want to mention I created something for you here, which is the stress assessment for recovering runners. It's really simple. It's sort of a checklist, a thing for you to go through and for you to actually take a look, just a quick look at all of these different forms of stress, 12 forms of stress that actually can compound all of the tissue damage and and delay your healing from recovery from hard workouts and your efforts. And God forbid, if you've got an overtraining injury. So check it out. It's on the show notes page at docontherun.com under the podcast tab for this particular episode. It's free. You can download it. So go get it. After you listen to this episode, just go to this page, print it out and use it to figure out what you can do to make some little shifts in your recovery so you recover even faster. Right now, all of us are inundated with rapidly changing circumstances and a wide variety of news stories about the coronavirus. And with all this uncertainty, none of us really knows what we're supposed to do. As a doctor who focuses solely on helping injured runners get back to running, most of what I do is recognize mistakes in training and mistakes in the recovery process, which may be causing failure to improve. But what I do know right now All over social media, I'm seeing examples of completely avoidable mistakes which could have serious consequences. Now make no mistake, I think runners should keep running even when they begin to encounter an overtraining injury. But it's all about taking a sensible approach. It's about managing risk and some activities are riskier than usual right now. So number one on the list of the mistakes runners make with the coronavirus, of course, is group runs. I mean, group runs are unquestionably the backbone of prolonged training blocks. If you're going to train for a marathon or an Ironman, you need to have a way to engage with other people. You need social interaction. We all need encouragement. And frankly, we need to enjoy being outside with our friends. Now, the director of the World Health Organization said, we have a simple message for all countries. Test, test, test. At the time of this recording, a grand total of only 38,000 Americans have been tested for the COVID-19 virus. By comparison, in South Korea, about 20,000 people a day are getting tested. So just in the last two days, more people in South Korea have been tested than the grand total of Americans tested so far this year. This is a problem. Right now, the virus is spreading without detection. The World Health Organization has very clearly stated that rapid, widespread testing is one of the keys to preventing the spread of the coronavirus illness. Now, if we don't have tests available and the healthcare system has not yet figured out a way to quickly test you or the other people in your running group, that really only leaves one reasonable approach, social distancing. Well, the local authorities are doing their best everywhere, but obviously they're creating some confusion through policy decisions. Now, I watched the live update of the mayor of San Francisco and all the chief medical officers of each of the respective surrounding counties in this area stand in solidarity declaring a legal order of shelter in place. And they emphasized multiple times throughout that press conference that this was a legal order. The officials went on to explain, you should not leave your home. We cannot be allowed to move around and spread the virus. Sounds like a good idea, right? But what actually followed 
it, it actually made me laugh out loud. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, of course, but basically what they said was, we know this order seems extreme, but don't worry. We've made some reasonable accommodations. None of these rules will apply to homeless people. Public transportation will still be running as usual. So I guess that means it's okay to get on a crowded BART train with a few hundred other people. It's okay to jam into a city bus. It's okay to run out for essential errands like going to the drugstore or the grocery store. Order your local Chinese restaurant to pick up some wontons to go, if you really need them, of course. And it's okay to go to work. Uh, But we want to reassure people, you know, it's okay to go out and ride your bicycle or go for a walk for exercise. Of course, if you just stay six feet from other people. So the truth is, this legal order to shelter in place is really nothing more than a recommendation or a suggestion. A few days ago, I received an email from one of our local running merchants who was not only keeping their store open, but was still encouraging large group runs beginning at their establishment. Now, running with a group of friends who um, seem like they're fine is not necessarily safe. It's only safe if you know for a fact that no one else has been exposed or infected, but nobody here is getting tested. So how could you possibly know that? If you live and sleep in the same bed with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, or your wife, it's probably not an issue. It probably really doesn't matter if you go run with your partner or not. But if you're going out to run with a group of runners or even a small group of runners, you have no idea and no way to measure the extent of risk involved in that group run. Much of the true extent of communicability or vehicles of transmission of the COVID-19 virus are still truly unknown. We know you can get it from person-to-person contact, but a lot of the stuff beyond that, we really don't know. We're given this six-foot rule, but do you really believe if you're standing seven feet away from someone at the grocery store and they cough in your direction, do you really believe you won't get infected? I mean, I don't know that. I don't know that certainly that six feet is a safe distance with 100% certainty. I don't think anybody knows that. There are only a few things that we really do know. And that's not even based on real research with the specific COVID-19 virus. Based on the most recent research published in the New England Journal of Medicine on these studies on the SARS-CoV-2 virus suggest that the virus can survive for up to four hours on copper and 72 hours on stainless steel, 72 hours on plastic, and for about 24 hours on cardboard. And when aerosolized, meaning spewed into the air in tiny droplet form, like when you cough or sneeze, viral particles are detectable in the air for up to three hours. So since we really don't have much like crystal clear, accurate information to go on at the moment, let's just assume for a second that all of those things I just told you are accurate and real. Now, you may be thinking, based on this whole, you know, viral particles being in the air for three hours, I sure hope that delivery driver isn't coughing in the car with all those delivery packages or takeout food orders coming to my house. But there's something else you may not really want to think about. Think about when you can see your breath in the air when you run on a cold day. That humidity carries particles with it. That is what it means for something to be aerosolized. You know, you can even see it in those occasions. It's in the air and that cloud of breath may carry pathogens. Do you really want to suck that breath cloud into your lungs? I don't. Do you really want to be breathing deeply, churning up a hill through the woods with a group trail run of 50 other runners? Do you really want to run full tilt behind another runner, breathing hard and deep for even a few minutes? I mean, our home has two doctors. One of them happens to be on the very front lines of this outbreak. Do you really want to go for a run with me if that's the case? I'll bet not. Do you really want to follow me up a trail on a run? I wouldn't either. So when you're out on your run, just assume that person in front of you, the one that you're catching up to, just imagine that person is me. 
and choose a different direction. So yes, for full disclosure, I am still running. I hope you will pardon the pun, but when I'm running, I avoid people like the plague. Now, the second mistake runners may be making during this outbreak is using ibuprofen. Ibuprofen is the most commonly consumed over-the-counter medication in America. And based only on that, I'm willing to bet that ibuprofen is the most commonly consumed pill among runners. Now, I'm not going to beat on this issue too much because I've done many other episodes in which I discuss the risks of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and their unique risks for runners. Over the last 10 or 15 years, I've definitely told more runners to not use anti-inflammatories than I have prescribed for runners. Yet when I lecture at medical conferences on running injuries, I still, almost every time, seem to have doctors asking me about the best way to use non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs in the treatment of running injuries. Even doctors are in disagreement about how to use this common over-the-counter medication. Not surprisingly, there are now conflicting recommendations about the use of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen in relation to COVID-19 symptoms and coronavirus infection treatment. Now listen closely. You get to pick which side you're on and who you choose to believe. I'm going to break it down for you and make it really simple. The two sides are the World Health Organization, and on the other side are the people who manufacture and sell ibuprofen. Any guesses on who is recommending you take it and who's recommending you don't? Again, these are diametrically opposed viewpoints. But before I begin, let me tell you one of my favorite quotes. It's very difficult to get a man to understand something when his livelihood depends upon him not understanding it. On March 17, 2020, the World Health Organization officially recommended avoiding taking ibuprofen for COVID-19 symptoms after French officials warned that these kind of drugs could worsen the effects of the virus. In short, there was a study published in a reputable medical journal called The Lancet, which hypothesized that ibuprofen boosts an enzyme that can worsen COVID-19 infections and make them more severe. Now, after that recommendation came out, a spokesperson for a British pharmaceutical company who manufactures one of these kinds of medications came out with a public statement stating basically that consumer safety was their number one priority. Uh huh. And that ibuprofen has been safely used for many years in the self-care of fever and pain reduction, including viral illnesses for more than 30 years. And furthermore, they don't believe that there's any proven scientific links between over-the-counter use of ibuprofen and any trouble with the coronavirus infections. Of course, when I read this, this immediately brought to mind the incredible scene of the chief executive officers of the big tobacco companies testifying in televised hearings under oath and under penalty of perjury, all of them one after another saying, I do not believe that nicotine is addictive. Now, the third mistake is to train hard. Now, the overwhelming majority of runners who call me for help, either through a phone consultation or a webcam visit, all are serious runners with normal jobs. I mean, I treat some, you know, professional athletes or serious elite athletes who are sponsored and so on. But when I say serious runner, this does not mean that you're a professional athlete or that you're an Olympic athlete. It doesn't mean that you're a marathon champion. It just means that you consistently have been running and you still consistently run. You've been running for a long time and you take your running seriously, but you're busy. You have a lot of commitments, you have work, you have to take care of your kids, and you have to do it in the same 24 hours as everyone else. Well, I believe right now there's an overwhelming temptation for runners like you who are forced to work from home or who have been placed on some kind of restriction. It actually leaves you bored and with an enormous amount of free time as compared to your usual schedule. 
Most hardworking athletes would look at this as an opportunity to take advantage and build massive fitness in the free time available. But I contend that this is a huge mistake. One of the best episodes of the Doc on the Rudd podcast is an episode where I got to sit down and talk to six-time Ironman world champion Mark Allen. It's Doc on the Run podcast episode number 225. You should definitely check it out. But long before anti-gravity treadmills, carbon fiber bike frames, power meters, cadence sensors, any of that stuff, Mark Allen was winning Ironman world championships and he was helping other athletes figure out how to succeed. Now, years ago, he explained to me that one of the biggest keys to success in any endurance sport is avoiding injury or illness. If you get sick or injured, you lose all of your fitness while you're recovering. Game over. All runners are worried about things like stress fractures or some kind of other injury that's going to set them on the sidelines. But when you train hard, your immune system gets overworked by repairing all of that tissue. When your immune system gets depressed and you've been training at your limit, you're simply more susceptible to illness. I got pneumonia right before I left for Ironman Hawaii to compete in the Ironman World Championships. So after nine years of trying to qualify for Ironman Hawaii, this was a rather inconvenient time to get sick. And I would argue that right now, with the certain but undetectable spread of this pandemic around us, now would be a very inconvenient time to get sick for you as well. I know it's going to be tempting to train hard in the time you have available right now, but you need to resist that temptation. You need to figure out how you can run and avoid exposure and decrease your risk of contracting the virus or at least decrease the severity of that illness when you get infected, if you do get infected. But I think almost as important is making sure that your immune system is as robust as possible. And this means decreasing stress. Of all the 12 different forms of stress I discuss that might affect your body's capacity to heal and fight off disease, I believe that when you run, you actually improve about half of them. So I believe that running will actually help you decrease your stress as long as it's done in moderation. If you're training for a marathon that was just canceled, moderation truly may be you going out to run 18 miles. But if your longest run in the last couple of months was only 8 miles, you probably shouldn't go run 18 miles today just because you have the time. Now, you have to decide what is moderate for you. All runners know how much is too much. All runners know how we can tell and feel that we're pushing too hard. And I would argue that now is not the time to push hard. This is a time when you should maintain your fitness and maintain your sanity by choosing safe, reasonable runs. And don't ever forget... Running is only one form of stress. Running is biomechanical stress, but there are many other forms of stress that can influence your capacity to absorb injury and fight off illness. So I've created a free worksheet for you that can help you to assess those 12 forms of stress that can slow a runner's recovery and frankly... I think it might also make you, you know, a little um, more susceptible to contracting an illness or potentially suffering a more severe illness once contracted. So go to DocOnTheRun.com. You can go to the show notes page for this particular episode and download it. It'll help you work through a series of questions to ask yourself if you want to uh, decrease the overall amount of stress in your system that can help you recover faster after runs and hard workouts. So in short, keep running, but do it safely. Be reasonable. And if you think of all this stuff that I just talked about as alarmist, remember, just because you're paranoid, it doesn't mean they're not after you. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. Please take a screenshot of the podcast, put it on social media, tag at Doc on the Run, and tag one of your friends who needs to hear it, who's a runner, so that they can get this information as well. 
If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me. And then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.